0: Good morning. How's everybody today? Good, good. We have been in a series called One, studying the book of Ephesians. And last week we began looking at Paul's prayer uh, in chapter one. And so far in our series also we've learned about uh, being blessed. Uh, We've talked about redemption. We've talked about the treasure of our salvation. Uh, And last week we began looking at this prayer Uh, And our message today uh, continues in that prayer. Uh, I've titled it God's Power for You. And we're going to pick up Paul's prayer right where we left off last week, and we're going to follow it through to the end of chapter 1 of Ephesians. And so if you want to turn there in your uh, Bibles, or if you have an electronic device on your Bible or on your app, uh, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be today in verses 18 through 23. I'll give you just a moment to get there if you want to follow along, and I'll read that for us today as we begin. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and in his incomparably great power for us who believe. who fills everything in every way. This is God's word through Paul's prayer in the book of Ephesians. An overall look at this larger passage, that full prayer of Paul, which begins actually back in verse 15, uh, reveals that Paul is praying for the believers to know three different things. These are the, the same three things that Pastor Dean's sermon outlined last week. But as Paul's prayer continues, he gets more and more focused, if you will, And he brings his thoughts to one particular idea. And he expresses, he explains, and he elaborates on this idea quite a bit. He focuses on one very important thing, power. More specifically, God's power for us who believe is how he phrases that. And for us reading today in our generation, his overall flow of thought is important, I think, because it lays a foundation for how we are supposed to understand what he is praying about. And so what does Paul want his readers to understand? He mentions three particular blessings. These were the points from last Sunday's sermon. Paul prays that you may know these three things, the hope of God's calling, the riches of God's glorious inheritance, and the incomparable power of God. Now note as we go along, that word I might mispronounce a little bit. <laughs> uh, I guess the correct pronunciation is, is incomparable, but a lot of times in our English language, English can be a little bit of a different language. We were talking about this in the office this week. We think of that as incomparable, but the, the, the emphasis should be on the other syllable. So it's really one of those words you wanna make sure you have the right emphasis on the right syllable. Um, but it, it's, it's incomparable power of God. So I apologize in advance if I mispronounce that as we continue. But hope, our, our salvation is marked by massive hope, but because of the person and work of Jesus, who he is and what he's done. Paul asks God to open their eyes so they will know the hope which he has called them to. Inheritance is that second thing. He wants us to appreciate the value that God places on us as we are in Christ, And in light of this, we should live for God's praise and declare God's glory to the nations. And power. This third part, this is the climactic request, maybe you could say, in the prayer. And it's on this third part that Paul just keeps going. He expounds, elaborates, and just keeps going. And the rest of this whole passage is really just Paul explaining about God's power. You may notice that he first describes this as something that is incomparable, And then it seems like he goes on to try and compare it to a bunch of things. And I find that kind of funny at first, right? It's incomparable. It can't be compared to anything. But let me compare it to a bunch of things for you. (laughs) You know, I just thought that was a little amusing. But I think it's as if Paul is so excited that he can't contain himself. Kind of like after we take our small kids to a place like Legoland. And then they get back and they begin to tell you, All about everything that they encountered at that place Legoland and it's all in one giant long never-ending breath right (laughs) I think that's a little bit of what's going on and and that makes sense because this whole prayer in the original language is one long we would tend to call it run-on sentence but that that's this whole prayer from verses 15 through 23 is one long sentence and so you can imagine Paul saying this is so great it doesn't compare to anything but let me try and explain it to you. (laughs) That's kind of what he's doing. And he elaborates on this idea about power. Now let's think for just a minute about the ways we think about power in our modern day and in our modern culture. Power, everybody wants it. Adults want it, kids want it. Some seek it through getting lots of money, some through political office. Many in our society are where they are simply because of a lust for power. There are power struggles in businesses, in schools, in homes. We all want to be in control and we all want power. Maybe power for you is not so deep. It's, maybe it's not so uh, dark or sinister. <clears throat> maybe it's just a part of what we call things in our modern culture, right? Powerade or the Powerball. <laughs> um, or how about something a little farther back, the power team? Rem- anybody remember those guys? Maybe I'm dating myself a little bit. Small shirts, huge muscles, and they went around as this evangelical ministry uh, trying to proclaim the power of God and show how powerful they can be by tearing phone books in half and things like that, right? Uh, These guys. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I I couldn't resist finding a picture and putting it up. Uh, Okay, we we can take that image away. but uh, Maybe it's something more mystical, right? like the Power Rangers. I know about the Power Rangers. I have kids. Uh, But that's some special power that kind of comes on at a certain point and helps you morph into something that you're not normally. um, Or maybe the mystical power is more like the Force in Star Wars. Or, Or maybe it's more like this, the ring of power from Tolkien's Middle Earth. One ring to rule them all. One ring to find them. One ring to bring them all. And in the darkness, bind them. Okay, yes, I'm a huge Tolkien fan. So um, (laughs) let you into a little secret of mine, but uh, maybe it's not mystical at all. Maybe it's just some behind the scenes kind of a thing, kind of like our utilities, right? Like electricity, it's always there. It runs almost all the time until someone shuts it off. (laughs) Uh, Last weekend, our neighborhood had a a notified ahead of advance planned power outage as they were working on some power lines down the street. but uh, when that happens, you realize how many things that we can't do without power. In this modern day and age, almost everything, right? <clears throat> if we're without power, even just one day or even part of a day, there's so many things we can't do. Um, we need to be plugged in. And, and that's really the way I think it is with God's power in our lives also. We need God, God's power for the things that we need to do as Christians. We need to be plugged in to his power. And a quick look around the world tells us that the world longs for power. But that's okay, I think. Because power in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Just like money in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing. If you remember, the scriptures say the love of money is the root of all evil. Not just the money itself. And I think it's similar with power. And as I looked at this passage... Today, from Ephesians chapter 1 again, I realize there's something really important that Paul is getting at when he elaborates about power. Paul says that what the world longs for, ultimate power, what the world longs for, Christians already have, just like something else the world longs for, eternal life. The world longs for eternal life, but if you have Jesus Christ, then you have eternal life. And if you have Jesus Christ, then you have his power. Paul wants believers to know this power, to know that it's available to believers in Christ. So he really goes into all this detail about the power he wants the believers to know about. God's great power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, lifted him by ascension back to glory to be seated at the right hand of God. That power is given to believers at the time of salvation and it's always available. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Colossians 1, 29 says this, To this end I strenuously, strenuously excuse me, contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. And so Paul doesn't pray that God's power be given to the believers but that they would be aware of the power that they already possess in Christ and that they would use it. And I think this is made clear by how Paul begins to expand on power in these verses ending his prayer and by these incredible descriptions that he gives to God's power. And so Paul has these descriptions of God's power and that's what I want to do in our time today is let's take a walk through Paul's descriptions of God's power. Paul wants believers to know, first off, that God's power is effective. God's power is effective. And what I mean by that is it's real and it's effective in the world. And as he begins his further descriptions of power, he latches on to four different words to illustrate this idea, the effectiveness of God's power. He's got four descriptive words, or in English sometimes they're phrases, in verses 19 and 20. I already did mention the first one, translated as, incomparably great or incomparably great. The root words could be translated as exceeding greatness. It kind of exceeds all of these things, just like the idea of not being able to compare it to something. But he doesn't just end there. He elaborates further with other words. And he calls it a power. That's the word that actually means a power, a strength, a force. And that power, he says, it's, it's that the same as a mighty strength, a forcefulness, a mighty ability is how that word is translated literally. So that power is the same as a mighty strength that is exerted or it's working, just like an energy. And that word exerted is really where we get the word energy from, from the Greek language. And so why use all of these different words, these four different words, I think if we think for just a moment about where the Ephesian church and the Ephesian believers were coming from and the things they were dealing with might help. In their era and in their time frame, they were dealing with things like what we would call magic or magicians. Kind of some sinister powers. Uh, Also, the cult of Artemis historically was very prominent in the city of Ephesus. They were dealing with things like astrology and emperor worship. And these things for them were very real and kind of dark. And so these people, they they lived in fear of these hostile forces and powers. And so Paul is assuring them that God's power is real. It is effective in the world. More than those other powers that you might be afraid of. And Paul continues. He wants them to know that God's power is effective. But he also wants them to know that God's power is superior to all others not just real and effective, but superior. And here he continues to use this idea of various words and ideas to talk more about God's power. He actually uses five different words or phrases in this description about how God's power is superior to all of these others. All five of them are in verse 21. He says that Jesus was raised up far above any rule, Authority, power, dominion, and every name that can be invoked is what he says. That word for name also sometimes gets translated as title. And while Paul doesn't give us big descriptions of these things, there's not a lot of details or explanations of what they are or mean. His point is that we don't need to worry because Jesus Christ is superior, far above all of them, even greater than every name that can be invoked. And he goes on to say, not only this, but that this is going on in the present age, but not only in the present age, but in the age to come. He, he even kind of deepens and widens that idea as well. So Jesus, according to Paul, by God's power, is above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, <clears throat> and every other name that can be named or invoked. Now, in the present tense, and also in the future, in the age to come. That's a pretty hefty description. Both of those are. And sandwiched right in the middle of those two lists of words, one list of four words, one list of five phrases, and a list of two time periods, right in the middle of all those that describe God's power being effective and God's power being superior to all others, Paul states how this incomparable power of God is displayed or was displayed. And to illustrate God's mighty power, Paul looks to the resurrection of Jesus. God's power is displayed in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ. Paul shows that. You see, death is the enemy that no one could conquer. That is, until Jesus came and conquered death. (laughs) He broke its bondage over human history and Paul gives four descriptions of how this is displayed in our passage one in verse 20 and others in verse 22 these four descriptions are that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead God raised Jesus from the dead first and foremost that Jesus is seated at God's right hand that God places all things under his feet and that Jesus is the head of the church Jesus has conquered death, and he reigns supreme over all. Sitting down, it's really the posture of a ruler, not a a ruler going out to war on a war horse, but sitting down on the throne, ruling over all. Everything else is so insignificant that it's under his feet. Everything else about the world, it's just a footrest for Jesus. He is above and ruling over all of it. And Jesus' head over God's church. This is a all together, put all together in one little bundle of a prayer. This is some amazing imagery. Absolutely amazing. It's this one huge, long, excited, run-on breath of a sentence from Paul with a wealth of descriptions about God's power. But look closely at the phrasing in verse 19 his incomparably great power for us who believe. I think Paul also wants believers to know that God's power is for you. God's power is for you. In this passage, Paul piles on term after term to show that this extraordinary divine power by which raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work today in and through believers in him. Remember, all of this talk from Paul is about that third thing that he's praying for at the beginning of the prayer, that believers would know this incomparably great power. I think this is the one main idea of the prayer in our passage for today, that you would know his incomparable great power, that it's for you, How would you feel about climbing in the ring to face off against a world heavyweight boxing contender? Would the words fear and trembling probably step into your mind? (laughs) I've never boxed, but I'm guessing they would for me as well. But suppose you could step into that ring with the undisputed heavyweight champion standing in your corner instead of against you. The fear and trembling are now your opponents. They're not yours, right? It's a whole different image that is what Paul is praying about when he asked, when he, when he talks about the the Ephesians knowing this he means really know in a in a sense of conscious experience and this kind of positive backing of what energizes our lives and the knowing in a in a real experiential way it's kind of like the difference between knowing that that stuff in a little jar you might have at home is honey because it says honey on the jar on the label It's the difference between knowing it that way versus knowing it's honey because you've tasted it. There's an experiential difference in tasting something, in experiencing it, rather than just knowing facts. So he's not praying that we get the calling or that we would become heirs or that we would sometime get the power. He's saying you have the calling. You are heirs. You have the power of God inside of you. And maybe you don't know it as you could. Maybe you don't know it as you should. But he wants us to know this experientially. He wants us to know the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance, and the incomparable greatness of his power toward you. He wants Christians to not just know the facts. He's calling for a deeper knowledge, a true experience of the Lord. See, because you can know facts about Jesus but it doesn't really mean that you know Jesus at all. Knowledge, truly knowing someone, it requires a connection, a mutual connection between you and that person. And Paul is praying that you would gain more and more insight into the knowledge and the connection of Jesus, of the Lord and of God. Because as Christians, you've been redeemed by God. You have been chosen by God. You have been adopted by God. You have been made heirs by God. You have been sealed by God. We are a people who at one time had no hope because of the debt of our sins. But our glorious Father has given us hope through Jesus. If that's not you, if you don't know Jesus, and you haven't accepted Him as your Savior, or given your life to Him, well, I'll tell you right now, that's the first step for you. That's the first thing you need to do, to place your faith in the only one who conquered death. That is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And here's how you can do that. I'm just going to walk through a few scriptures. You do have to admit that you're a sinner, that that there's a God out there, and he's above and beyond me, and I'm the one who's in the wrong. Paul informs us in his letter to Romans that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Every single one of us, myself included. In chapter 5 of Romans, Paul continues the good news of the story and tells us that God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. That's Romans 5 verse 8. In the next chapter, we learn the wages of that sin is death. But, I love that word. Here's the great good news. He says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6, 23. Now Jesus himself says that he's the only way to God. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John fourteen six. Those are Jesus' words, not Pastor Adam's words. But there's no better time than right now to settle that eternal destiny and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord if you haven't done so. And on one level, it's really simple. Continuing Paul's words from Romans in chapter 10, he says this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans ten nine. You see, we confess with our mouths that which we believe in our hearts. Paul even goes on to say, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, in Romans 10, verse 13. And one level, that's the simplicity of the gospel message. No tricks, no hoops to jump through. And if you've done that, then you're a Christian. If you've done that just now, I would say you're a Christian also. If you want to know more about that and what the next steps could be, because there are some next steps, come and talk to me after the service or Pastor Dean, or one of our other staff members, or a leader, just find us out on the plaza. Would love to talk with you about that, if that's something you want to do or just did today. But once you were a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then you know this hope that Paul is talking about and this incomparably great power that he is talking about. I think so far I've pronounced it correctly. (laughs) But I, I do want to point out something else that I think is important to know in all of this. God's power does not remove us from things like persecution or danger or difficulty or sickness or death. It's not that kind of a power, but it makes us what the Scriptures call more than conquerors through it because of God and because of Jesus. It's not a magical power like they experienced then, and it's not one now. It's not a magical power to escape the difficulties of the world. That's not what it's about. But it's a power to live life today in an evil world. To be in the world and not of it. Another passage talks about. And this power that we have in Jesus, if you're in Christ, it's a power for godly living. It's the power to love when you would rather hate. It's the power to forgive when we would rather fight. It's the power to serve when we would rather just take care of ourselves and not worry about other people. It's the power to put God first in our lives instead of us. And this power of God in us, it gives us the ability to live like Jesus in the world. Because without that, the Bible says also in another place, you can do nothing. Without Jesus, you can do nothing. But as Paul's talking about this power Paul says that power, power that is incomparably great, power that is the same as his mighty strength that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, power that is far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, and every name that could be invoked, power that is not only in the present age, but also in the age to come, that power is for you. That's what Paul is saying. It's almost as if Paul says, you might question the power of God for your everyday life, but look at this, the resurrection and the exaltation of Jesus, who he is and what he has done. And that same power, that's available for you. Paul doesn't want you to go looking to find something more, something else you need, something more. That's foolish. If you have Christ, You have it already. And he wants you to know that which you already have. This is God's power for you from Paul's prayer in Ephesians. Now, how do we apply this? This is where it gets interesting. I was talking with somebody this week about I don't know that I want to start getting into a bunch of tiny details because how the application of this works is probably a little different for each one of us. It's not a, I can do A, B, and C, and that works for everybody. But generally speaking, the application of this, as I thought about this this week and talked with Pastor Dean, it's pretty much identical to the application points that he mentioned last week. So, how we apply this is the same. And I'm going to mention those five if you weren't here last week and or just by way as a reminder if you were. Because I think the best way to get to know somebody, remember Paul is talking about he wants us to know God through this. The best way to get to know someone is to spend time with them. And I think this applies to God also. We get to know God by the time we spend with him. And so these application points from last week, I'll remind us of them. One was intercession. Intercession prayer on behalf of other people intercessing on behalf of others another was silence or solitude as a way to be able to hear from God if I want to get to know him I've got to be listening to him as well when he's trying to speak into my life and speak into my heart reading God's word of course and we talk about that all the time in churches but this is his word to us who believe this is what he's saying to us for our lives and so that is a an amazing way to continually get to know God, what He thinks, what He's saying to me. Praying the Psalms I wrote down from last week to develop and deepen our worship of God, our connection with Him through worshiping Him with our life. And the fifth was developing the discipline to pray, if you remember. And a little different than just the intercession on behalf of others, the discipline to pray really has to do with this Uh, talking to God all the time it's a discipline not just something I do and I've done it and checked it off and then I go along my merry way for the day or the week or the month but it's this idea of what the scriptures talk about pray without ceasing it's that idea so I would challenge you with these from last week just by asking how are you doing with these applications can ask myself the same thing how am I doing with these things Because this is the same prayer from Paul. It's the same sentence from last week when we began looking at this prayer. And it continues on to the end of chapter one. And it leaves us with the same application points. But it leaves us there so that we can know God better and that we can know that God's power is for you. I think that's what really the the heart of what Paul is getting at with this one main idea that God's power that he gets so excited about that he has this almost run-on long sentence in one long breath with every descriptive word he can think to pull in there to teach us about this. That power, that same power that has raised Jesus from the dead, it lives in you if you are in Christ. And he wants us to know that. So I would hope that you can continue to do that and continue to get to know God as we continue our study of Ephesians.